I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O fear the Lord, you He saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves lengths of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. You can be seated. Last week we looked at the portion of this text which talks about uh, the instruction that is given to us uh, by David in order to uh, praise and to celebrate what is going on um, after this encounter that David had with Abimelech. And you remember that David was out, he was running from Saul, he was trying to get away, and he came into this land and he feigned madness in order that he could get away from the king there. He was worried what would happen because the news of who David was had already traveled into this land, that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so David was worried that if they found out who he truly was, that they would perhaps try to capture him and hold him there. So he pretended to be mad, pretended to be crazy, and, and, and by doing that, was deceitful, which was not a good thing. But in the midst of that deceitfulness, he prayed and cried to the Lord and asked the Lord to, to help him and deliver him, and the Lord did so. And so Psalm 34 begins with this celebration and this praise of David's thankfulness to God. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He talks about the Lord's deliverance, that through the midst of difficult circumstances, the Lord brought him all the way through. And also the Lord's provision that in every moment, in every circumstance, that as a believer in Christ, as a child of God, we have the promise from the Scriptures that God will provide all of our needs for us. Now, as I shared last week, you know, we in, in 21st century Christianity, especially here in America, we have lost the, I think, the, the concept of trusting and faith in God the way that some of our forefathers in the faith had, uh, of trusting Him. We, we tend to depend more upon our own self-ability, you know, the ability to work and the ability to do things, and all those things are good. God has given us those things, but oftentimes we think that what we have is because of our effort that we put forth. We also have to remember that everything that we have, regardless of how we got it, has come to us 
by the hand of God. He is the one who has blessed us with the ability to work and to make a living. He's the one who's blessed us with a job that, that pays and, and allows us to buy the things that we do. He's the one that has given us good health in order to be able to go to work. So all of those things are a blessing from the Lord and part of His provision for us as His people. So as we get to verse 11 through verse 22, what we now find is David switches from praise and celebration uh, to instruction. So it's really kind of similar to how a church service is, right? We start out at the beginning of a church service with worship and praise and celebrating God for His goodness and His faithfulness, and then we come to a time where we talk about instruction from God's Word, and this is exactly what David is doing here. He's moving from this idea of of celebrating and praising the Lord now to give practical instruction to those who would hear in order that they may know how to live their life. So in verses 11 through 14, uh, there's three things I want you to notice here in, in, in this uh, passage today. It was it's instruction, protection, and then redemption. Instruction, protection, and redemption. And the instruction is found in verses 11 through 14. Notice there at verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So the first thing that we understand in this instruction is, number one, what we should hear. What we should hear. David says, come, you children, and listen to me. Now, when he says children there, he's not specifically talking about young children. He's just talking about to those with whom he has a fatherly influence. He's talking about those with whom would listen to him and who would come to him. And so he's calling them children, not so much in the fact that they were young, but that they would view him as a father figure, as a, as a figure of influence. And so he's saying, listen, I want to give you some practical wisdom and instruction. And it's this idea, anytime we see this direct command in the scripture where it says, listen to me. We often heard Jesus say this, you know, come, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, everything in the scripture is good for us as Christians to read and to listen and understand. But here in this particular moment, David is talking to those around him. He's saying, listen, if you want this practical advice, if you want this instruction, you come and you sit and you listen. Now, I think every one of us in the room knows that there's a difference between hearing and listening. I think many of the wives in the room could attest to that sometimes they speak and their husband hears, but he does not listen. I didn't get any amens on that. I thought I might get a few here and there. But we know the difference, right? The same thing when you have children. Sometimes you speak and they hear you, but they don't listen to you. There's a practical matter here because it's very easy for us, brothers and sisters, to hear the word of the Lord but not listen to the Word of the Lord. It's very easy for us to hear what the Scripture says, but to not listen to it and apply it to our lives. And if we've done that, we're just wasting our time. It does us no good to hear what the Scripture says without actually listening to it, cementing it in our hearts, and taking it and doing something with it. And so David here says, Come, sit down, listen to me, and notice what he's going to teach them here. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, we often talk about the fear of the Lord here, but if we're honest, oftentimes the fear of the Lord is not something that's really talked about a lot anymore. We hear a lot about the Lord and His loving kindness. We hear a lot about the Lord and His grace. We hear a lot about uh, the Lord and His mercy. But we often don't hear a lot about the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? This is just talking about the idea of, of being awestruck about who God is. And when we talk about fear, we often view fear as a, as a negative connotation, right? You know, you're afraid of, of, of the dark. You know, you're afraid of flying. 
You're afraid of something like this. You have a fear of those kinds of things. But fear is also a healthy thing. What is it that keeps you safe? And so if you're on top of, of the Grand Canyon and you're in a section of the Grand Canyon where there's no walls and there's no fences, what is it that keeps you from just walking off the edge of that cliff? It is a fear of falling. It's a fear of getting hurt. That fear is given to you by God as a good thing because it keeps you from going too far. It keeps you from doing something that you should not do. But there's also this understanding of the fear of the Lord that keeps us, when we understand who God is, it keeps us from doing the things that we should not do. Having a fear of God and His holiness and His glory and His splendor is a good thing for us when we realize that He is the God of all the universe who shaped every single thing by simply speaking it into existence. Go home this afternoon, go out into your backyard, and try to speak just one speck of dirt into existence. It's impossible. I mean, just one tiny little molecule of dust. You cannot do it, but yet God spoke the entirety of the world. Every living creature, every mountain, every sea, every single part of it. He spoke His voice and it came to be. Now think about how glorious God is. Think about how grand and splendorful He is. And so this fear of the Lord, David wants them to understand about how glorious and great God is because if we understand who He is, it causes us to live in a way that will glorify and honor Him. We fear the Lord, not because we're afraid of of what He's going to do to us, because we understand what He could do to us. But as Christians, we're not afraid of coming under the judgment of God any longer because of who we are in Christ. But we understand how great He is and that He deserves to be respected. He deserves to be honored. He deserves to be glorified. So David is going to teach them the fear of the Lord. I think there's a couple of other practical things that we can take away from just this one verse. Number one is we have to commit to this listening aspect. Because it's not just what we find here in Psalm 34, but it's the entirety of the Scripture. God is speaking these things to us, these practical things, all the way through the Scripture. So when we hear this, we need to listen well, but we're not just here to Psalm 34, but to the entirety of the Scriptures. We need to commit ourselves as Christians to be people of God's Word. Now, we would think that that would be commonplace, right? That if you're a Christian, that you're somebody who loves God's Word. But oftentimes what we find in the world today is there are a lot of people who say that they are Christians, say that they believe God's Word, but yet they never actually read God's Word. So we've got to commit ourselves to that. And I think there's also this idea of teaching is that David here now, he's going to share from practical experience what it means to be obedient to God, what it means to fear the Lord. And I think that's one of those things that as, as believers that we need to also do with one another is that we also need to, be, we need to be taught and we need to be teaching. At every moment of every day, we need to be taught the Word of God by somebody else. That's why we come to church. That's why we go to Sunday school. That's why we go to small group. That's why perhaps you maybe you read during the week uh, or listen to other pastors during the week. We always are need, uh, have a need to be taught the Word of God. But then we also need to be taking that into teaching others. David was practical about that, about taking what he had learned and to teach others about what God was doing in his life. So that's what we hear. David says, come, children, and listen to me. But also to want you to notice what we are to desire. Look at verse 12. He says, who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? So here David proposes a question. If somebody wants to live a long life 
and have good days all of his life, what should he do? Now, how many of you in here this morning, well, let's, here, let's, let's, let's back up for just a moment. I was going to say, how many of you this morning want to live a long life and have good days all your life? I think all of us would raise our hand, right? I don't think anybody in here would say, I desire a short life with really bad days. But I, but I, I, I want to be honest this morning, is, is I was reading this passage this past week and studying, over, uh, studying through it. You know, what struck me is that oftentimes, um, as, as Christians, we sometimes have this attitude of, thinking, well, I'm not going to pray for a long life. You know, it's like we, we have this idea, because you know, we, we find Paul talking with this struggle about, you know, whether to remain here or whether to go on. You know, I desire both. And so I think sometimes Christians have this idea of like, well, I'm just going to, you know, just pray that the Lord returns really quickly and, and then everything will all be over and done with. But David here is talking about that as Christians, as people of God, that we can and we should pray that God would give us a long life with good days. That He should give us as many days as possible here on this earth that is just filled with goodness and His splendor and His glory as possible. He says, who desires those things? Who is the man that desires life and loves lengths of days that he may see good? And so the great thing about this passage is, David says, if that's your desire for a long life with good days, I'm going to teach you how to do that. I'm going to show you what God's Word says it means to have a long life with good days. So this is what we desire. And I think, this is, I think this is an important thing. Why would it be good for us as believers to desire to live a long life with good days? Well, I can think of a couple of reasons. Number one, the longer we're here on this earth, the more time we have to share the good news of who God is. The longer we're here on this earth, the more opportunities we have to share the gospel, to influence the world for the good of the sake of the gospel. But also the, 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 the good days, the reason we desire good days is because when, when we have a life that is filled with the goodness of God and filled with His providence and His pleasure and His, um, and His care for us, it gives us opportunities to glorify Him to those who may not know Him. When people see God working in our lives, through our lives, it gives us opportunity to bear testimony of His goodness and His faithfulness. It's exactly what David is doing here. It, this whole first part of this, of, this, of this chapter here was David bearing testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in his life. That even though David sometimes didn't deserve it because he had done really dumb things, God still was faithful. Because God's faithfulness to us is not dependent upon whether we were good this morning or whether we weren't. Because our goodness is based upon what Christ has already done in our lives. And that's a glorious thing to, to consider and to realize because oftentimes what Satan will want to do for us is to make us think that God's goodness towards us is dependent upon how we've acted the last five minutes or the last five days. Brothers and sisters, we are all going to mess up at times. We are all going to sin, but thanks be to God, our sin does not determine God's love and mercy and grace towards us because we have been forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. So we see what we are to hear. We see what we are to desire. But notice what it says we are to say. Because now David here is giving this practical instruction. If you want to have a long life and good days, here is what you should do. Number one, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lip, excuse me, and your lips from speaking deceit. Now let's think about this. Keep your tongue from evil. Now, 
we could spend almost the entirety of this sermon this morning just referencing scriptures in the Bible that talk about the danger of the tongue. Talking about how we are to be careful with the things that we say. How great a fire is set loose by the tongue, James tells us. It's like a, a ship with a with with rudder that is, is, goes to and fro. So we have to be very, very careful in how we use our mouth. In what we say. Now, it was interesting as I was studying through this in, uh, in one of the commentaries. It's a, a, a book on the Psalms. It's very, very thick. Very, and what it does is it, it compiles um, a lot of the very, very early uh, Puritans and, and theologians from the, say, the, the 16s and 17 and 1800s and has all of their information in one book and it's all on the Psalms. And so in that uh, commentary, um, it was talking about Richard Baxter who had compiled a list and then somebody else had also added to it of what it means to have sinful speaking. Now, I, want you to, I wanted to read this list to you before because I think sometimes we can simplify Maybe far too simplify what it means to have sinful speaking. We would say, okay, well, we shouldn't lie. You know, we shouldn't gossip. But I want you to listen to this list this morning. And I think that no matter who you are or where you are, something on this list is going to pinpoint into your life as to how it is that we should not speak. He said, speaking becomes sinful when it is hasty, rash, continual, unreasonable, excessive, clamorous, senseless, unchaste, indelicate, impure, filthy, prevaricating, quibbling, deceitful, lying, slanderous, tattling, babbling, backbiting, detractive, reproachful, opprobrious, flattering, seductive, betraying confidence, revealing secrets, awaking groundless suspicions, tail-bearing, news-carrying, railing, reviling, boastful, scornful, desperate, murmuring, foolish, egotistical, vain, proud, malignant, bitter, resentful, cursing, profane, or blasphemous. That's a pretty long list. But the reason I wanted us to think about that this morning is because it's more than just lying to be vain speaking. It's more than just lying to watch what our tongues... There's oftentimes things that sometimes we may not even think is using our mouth in the wrong way or using our tongue in the right way. But David is encouraging us that we should only be speaking those things which are good because if we're to keep our tongue from evil, the converse of that is that we are to do things that are good with our tongue. If our lips are not to speak deceit, that means they are to speak good things. And brothers and sisters, let's be honest. There are moments and times in our lives where this could be very difficult for us because we're human. And sometimes we find ourselves saying things that we should not say. And you know what the very best thing to do if we find ourselves saying something that we should not say is just to stop. Even if you're in the middle of the sentence, just stop. Say, you know what? I don't need to say that. And if you find it afterwards, then you go to God and you ask Him to forgive you and you don't do that again. But David here is helping us to understand that that what it means to have a life that is faithful to God, a life that is long and glorious in the eyes of God, starts with controlling our tongue. And what a challenge this can be sometimes. What a challenge it can be to control the things that we say. It's easy to control our tongue when everything is going good for us And we're around all the people that we know and we love. And sometimes, though, when things aren't going quite as well as we hoped they would and we're frustrated or we're upset or we're angry or we're 
whatever it may be, those are the times that it's a lot harder to control the things that come out of our mouth. But David says we've got to learn to do this. That as Christians, we've got to learn to watch what comes from our mouths. That we should be doing good things, speaking good things, saying good things, sharing good things. So not only is what we say, but it's also what we do. Look at the next verse. He says, depart from evil and do good. One commentator said, it's not simply enough to lack evil. We also must possess good. So David says, a key to this long life with many good days is to run away from what is bad and to run to what is good. To have no evil in our lives, but to let our lives be filled with those things that are good. Now for each of us, depending upon our background, depending upon the things that our life possessed before we became a Christian, we know what the things that we struggle with are. Most likely every one of us in this room has a sin that we might call a besetting sin. It's the one that we struggle and fight against the most and the hardest in our lives. And David says we are to eschew those things, to push those things away, and to seek and to do what is good. There's not a lot of description that's necessary in this, right? It's very, e- it's very easy to understand. Turn away from what is bad and turn to what is good. And how do we understand that? How are we instructed by what is evil and what is good? Well, it goes back to what David said in verse 11, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord, we begin to understand those things which are evil and those things which are good. It has to come from God Himself. Because brothers and sisters, let's be very clear this morning, we cannot understand that which is evil and that which is good by the world that we live in. Because right now what the world teaches us is that which is evil is good and that which is good is evil. Hey, we, we live now in a total counter-cultural ideal of what the Bible teaches about those types of things. I mean, perhaps more so than in the time that any of us have been alive, and perhaps quicker than any of us ever thought it could happen, we have seen our culture flip-flop so radically on what good is and what evil is and what the two of those things look like in comparison with the Scriptures. The last part in this section Not just what we do, but how we are to live. Notice what David says at the end of verse 14. He says, seek peace and pursue it. The Scripture tells us in many places that we, as much as it is possible with us, are to live at peace with all men. Now, sometimes this will be impossible. There are certain times, there are certain people who are just wholly contentious. That no matter what you do, they're going to have a problem with you. No matter what you say, they're always going to have an issue with you. But David here says, and the Scriptures tell us, that we should seek as Christians to live as peaceably as we can among everyone. That means that we're to not do something maliciously just for our own vindication or our own pride. Now, if somebody is upset of us because of what the Word of God says, or because we are standing upon the Word of God, then that's totally different. But we're to do everything we can to live peaceably among all people. And David says here, not just the idea of peace, but we have to pursue it. Peace does not actively find us in this world. Peace does not come easy. We have to be after it and chasing it, pursuing it. We have to be, you know, you think about the, um, the lion, you know, chasing a, a, an antelope across the plain. 
That lion just can't sit there and say, well, I hope the antelope will come over here and lay down beside me and I'll have dinner tonight. No, he knows and understands that if he's going to eat dinner, he's going to have to get out there and work hard and chase this animal down. And David here is saying it's the same thing with peace in our lives. We live in a world that is filled with sin. We live in a world that is driven by evil and wickedness. Until the Lord returns and seats himself upon his physical throne, we live in a world that is struggling hard against God and fighting hard against him. So peace is not easily and readily found. We have to pursue it. We have to seek after it. We have to give ourselves to this fight. We have to give ourselves to looking for opportunities, looking for ways to be at peace amongst all people and to spread this idea of peace, to spread this idea of, the, of who God is and what Christ has done. If people want to know true peace in their life, it doesn't come through governmental acclamation. It comes through the knowledge of who Jesus is. You know, we can look all around us of things that are happening around the world, even just in the past couple of weeks, of nations fighting and countries fighting and groups fighting. And, and numerous things have been tried, wars and peace accords and everything else. But brothers and sisters, until people know who Christ is and know His forgiveness, they can never know true peace. Until a nation knows and understands who God is and what Christ has done. They can never know true peace until the world knows and acknowledges who Christ is. There can be no true and lasting peace. So David says we are to commit ourselves to that. Now, we saw here the instruction that David gives. So now I want you to notice the protection. Because he, he, he's now moving to this idea. He's talked about the protection of God in his own life. But now he, in this instruction, he wants those who are listening to understand that God's protection is not just for David, but it is for all of those who put their trust in him. So David uses some language here. He talks about some, some different parts of God in the sense of, we, now we understand that God is not a person. We, in fact, that was our catechism question this morning. He's not a person. God is a spirit. But David often uses language that as humans we can understand to talk about God and his response and his, the way that he works and operates towards us as humans. So notice there in verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Now skip down to verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers, him, delivers them out of all their trouble. So I want you to notice here the eye first. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. That's talking about God is always carefully watching his people. Now, what an encouragement this is. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent, and if you've ever taken a child somewhere where there's a lot of people, you understand what David is talking about here. Because if you have a child that you're taking care of, and they're a young child, they can't really take care of themselves, they're not old enough to kind of be off by themselves, and you go to a place where there's a lot of people, what do you do the entire time you're there? You watch that child. You watch where they go. You may let them go off and play a little bit, but you always have your eye on them. You never take your eye off of them. Because what do we always hear when something happens? It's like, oh, I was watching, I just took my eye off of them for one second, and then this happened. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged that the Lord never takes His eye off of you. 
Not even for one second does the Lord look away. The Scripture teaches us that God has His eye upon you every single moment of every single day like a loving parent does to their child. And just as that parent watches everything that child does, so is God watching and caring for the righteous. He is watching over us every single day. Do not ever think that what you are going through or the season of life that you are in means that God has taken His eye off of you. He has not. That's his eye. But he also talks about his ears. He says his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their trouble. Again, you you think about the idea of a parent. There's much to be able to correlate here. This is what God does for us as parents when he gives us children. He begins to teach us things about who he is through having children. Every parent in this room would attest to the fact that you can be in a crowded room and you can hear a child start to cry, and if that child is yours, you know who that child is. You can know them by their cry. You know them by their voice. And the Scripture teaches us here that the ears of the Lord, His ears are open to our cry, that when we cry, the Lord hears our voice. Every other religious system out there, every other so-called deity that people cry out to, they have no promise of ever being heard because they serve a God who is dead and buried and in a grave. But we serve a God who is living and ruling and reigning. We serve a God who sits upon the throne. We serve a God who has created the entirety of the universe. Buddhists can pray and, and pray all day long and their prayers go nowhere because there's no one to hear their prayers. Muslims can pray all day long to Muhammad and to Allah, but their prayers go nowhere because those men are buried and dead and in the grave. The Hindus can pray to millions and millions and millions of deities that they've created over the years, but those prayers go nowhere. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, when we pray, our prayers go straight from our mouth and into the ear of our God. And He hears every single one of them. No matter how quiet we pray, no matter how loud we pray, no matter whether we pray in our home, kneeled by our bed, or whether we're driving down the interstate on the way to work, the Lord hears our prayers. And notice what David says here, that he hears our prayers and that when we cry, he delivers them out of all their troubles. This is a glorious thing to consider. God does not leave us alone. God does not leave us forsaken, but he delivers us out of all our trials and our tribulations. And we're going to talk about this more in just a moment. This doesn't mean that we escape trial and tribulation in this life, but we understand that God is our deliverer, that ultimately He will deliver us in one way or another, and that He carries us through every single circumstance. We find this with David. This is why I encouraged you last week to to read a psalm during the week or read a psalm every day because you find that throughout David's life, David was at the pinnacle and the top of what it meant to be a believer and he was also at the very bottom of discouragement and trial and tribulation. But his promise and and his knowledge and his understanding always was that no matter where he found himself, God was faithful and good to him. So we see the eye, we see the ear, but notice that David also talks about the face of the Lord in verse 16. He says, the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut them off, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So David's encouragement is here is to understand is not only does God hear the cry of the righteous, 
Not only does God look at us and understand us, but he says his face. Now, usually when you see this word, the face of the Lord, it's talking about his anger. It's often used in reference to his anger. So what David is saying is that all he hears the righteous, his ears are open to their cry. And because what is happening in this world that would cause the righteous to suffer is at the hand of those who are evil, God's face or his anger is towards those who are doing those things against the righteous. David was suffering throughout many times in his life because of the wicked and the evil here on this earth. And his promise here is, is that the, even though God's ears and his eyes are towards the righteous, his face, his anger is towards the evildoers. He says to cut them, the memory of them off from the earth. Matthew Poole said this means to utterly deprive both them and their children of that worldly happiness, which is the only thing they desire and seek by their wicked courses. Evil people and wicked people desire to do those things in order to build themselves up. It's a prideful thing. Evil people are wicked because they desire something for themselves. People rob a bank because they desire money. People murder other people because they're angry at them and they want revenge. You see, wicked rulers rise up and, and, and crush their people under their feet because they want power and authority. It's always a wicked and evil desire. And God says is that ultimately... He's going to crush them and remove the memory of them from the earth. There will come a time when people like Stalin and Hitler will be remembered no more. Their names and their memories will be wiped up off the face of the earth and people won't even have an understanding of who they were because God will ultimately have justice over them. Hitler is dead, but he has not escaped the justice of God. Stalin is dead, but he will not escape the justice of God. They will all face the anger and the wrath of God for their wickedness and for their deeds. But notice David also talks not here just about the face, but also about the heart. Look at verse 18. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the heart of God. That He is near to the brokenhearted. He is there and saving those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, the word crushed in spirit, if you have a King James, it says that they are contrite in spirit. And that word contrite literally means to be hammered out flat. It means to be in a moldable shape. It's the idea of somebody working with metal and taking that hammer and beating the metal and molding it and shaping it. And so this idea of brokenhearted and crushed in spirit is really like the, the idea of the two elements of, of, of repentance and worship, of, of, of that fear of the Lord. That when we are brokenhearted over our sin and we're crushed in spirit because we realize that we have no hope in and of ourselves, that our only hope is in God, that our only hope is in His forgiveness, it says that the Lord comes near to those. He comes around those and He saves us. He lifts them up. He encourages them. He, he fills them with His joy and with His grace. But we have to come to that place. That's what it means to know the fear of God. That's what it means to know who Christ really is. To be brokenhearted over our sin, to be crushed in spirit because we realize what we have done. We realize what our sin has done to a holy and a righteous God and we realize that our only hope is in Him. David says that the righteous have many afflictions. That means we do not escape the trials of this life. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's not a cakewalk. 
Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we still get sick. We still suffer pain. We still suffer the loss of loved ones, young and old. We suffer maybe job loss or insecurities. We suffer all of these things. We do not escape the trials of this life. But the promise that we have from the Scripture is that the Lord will deliver us out of all of our afflictions. Sometimes that deliverance comes when we leave this earth, but sometimes it comes in in the middle of it. We do not know what God is doing in our lives through the midst of our trials and tribulations. But what we do know from the Scripture is that when the Lord has done His perfect work through a trial, then He will take it away. We will not suffer needlessly. We will not go through trials meaninglessly. Not a single one of us in this room, if you're a Christian, if you're in the midst of a trial right now, it is not pointless. God is teaching you something. God is showing you something in the midst of that trial. And when we have learned what we need to learn, then those things will go away. David oftentimes suffered at the hand of the wicked by the providence of the Lord, sometimes at the result of his own foolish decisions. And he learned what he needed to learn, and God delivered him out of all of those situations. And the promise goes on because he says that the Lord will deliver them from them all in the midst of these afflictions. He says he keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Matthew Poole pointed out, that the bones here, when David talks about the bones, it's talking about the skeleton, because the skeleton is the internal structure of the body. It's what holds everything upright, right? If you didn't have a skeleton inside of you, you would just have a, 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 hingle, a, a tangled mass of, of, of muscles and nerves and skin laying on the floor. It's the bones that hold everything together. It's the innermost part. It's the structure of that. So he points out, he says, all the parts and members of their bodies, this is the skeleton, or the bones, which are synodically expressed by the bones, which are the stay and strength of the rest. God will not suffer any mischief to befall him, though he may be afflicted, yet he shall not be destroyed. Now, David here is not saying that as a Christian, you'll never have a broken bone. I suppose there are many of us here this morning who have had a broken bone at some point in our lives. But David here is painting a picture is that we will not be destroyed as believers. God will hold us and keep us and strengthen us. He says that he will protect us and watch over. We may suffer affliction, but we will not be destroyed. We may suffer trial and tribulation, but we will not be destroyed. Ultimately, there's this beautiful picture of is although we are fighting against sin and temptation and things in this world, we will not ultimately be destroyed because of who our hope and our faith and our trust is. That it's in Christ and in Him alone. That's the thing that David points out in these final verses. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be Condemned. This is the idea. The final part here is redemption. Evil shall slay the wicked. What this means is that ultimately the wicked shall succumb to the evil which they have lived their lives by. That ultimately their sin will bring destruction upon them. That the way that they have lived, the way that they have acted, the way that they have proclaimed ultimately will come to be their downfall. He says those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those who are outside of Christ, there is coming a day when they will stand before God in judgment, and because of their sin, they will be condemned. Because of their hatred of the righteous, because of their hatred of God, they will be condemned. And the Scripture tells us that the penalty for those who die outside of Christ, that the penalty for those who live their lives in rebellion against God, 
is eternity in hell. That is their condemnation. But notice the good news that David gives us here. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The Lord has redeemed us. This is speaking of this precious promise of what Christ was going to do. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ, we are redeemed. God has bought us back at a price, and that price was His own Son, Jesus Christ. He has redeemed the soul of His servants. Now, look at this. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Brothers and sisters, we are guilty. We are as guilty as guilty can be of sinning against a just and a holy and a righteous God. And we deserve to stand before Him and have Him hammer down the gavel and say, you are guilty and you deserve hell. But because of what Christ has done, the Scripture says that we will not be condemned. We will not suffer under that, penalty and, uh, under that penalty and that punishment because of what Christ has done. If we take refuge in Him, we will know true forgiveness and everlasting life. So brothers and sisters, let us take heed to David's instruction in this passage. Let us listen to what he has to say to us. Let us learn the fear of the Lord. And let us take hope and comfort in knowing that if we do so, that the promise here of long days and a good life may come to us if we're obedient to what God has called us to do here in this passage. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank You for this instruction. Father, we admit that much of what David calls us here to is not sometimes easy for us because we struggle with controlling our mouth and our lips. We struggle with doing the things that we know we should not do. We struggle, Lord, with the fight against our sinful flesh. But Lord, we rejoice in the promises that if we fear You and know who You are, that You give us the strength and the ability to do those things. That it is not in our own strength that we know what to say and how to say it. That it is not in our own strength that we flee from evil and do good. That it is not in our own strength that we seek peace and pursue it. But it is by Your power and Your strength given to us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, these things are impossible for us to do outside of Your grace and Your help. So Lord, help us to not try this in our own strength, but help us to rely upon You. Help us to trust You. Help us to cling to You. Help us to call out to You. Help us to be, Father, obedient to You. And we ask all these things this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.